The Stronger Podcast is all about living with resilience, stronger mental health, and a meaningful life. Every guest and topic discussed is aimed to encourage us around these themes. This is a highlight episode, so it's in a slightly different format. I'm calling this an Australian story of perseverance. Today's guest is a mate who's been in my life for over 20 years. And today I want to introduce you to Martin Smoothie. This is an incredible life story. What I do know about Martin is that he's not a quitter. With some of the worst lows any of us could imagine, he kept on believing there was more to his life. And he's recently founded Australia's number one learn to swim program for adults. This interview is about perseverance. Never quit. No matter the setbacks and the hand that you've been dealt, you're going to enjoy today's interview. And I hope that you'll share this podcast on your socials, rate, subscribe, help me get the word out. Thank you for listening from all over the world. It's an honor to speak to you. Let's jump into today's special episode at the kitchen table. I think one of the big mistakes we can easily make when someone is really close to us, we become familiar and we almost ignore what makes them really exceptional. And I think in this particular area, you're really exceptional. So you've achieved a lot of incredible things. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell us how this journey of perseverance began for you? Yeah. Okay, Jack. Well, uh, as you're aware, I'm 59, turning 60 this year. Okay. Um, Most people who would know me would know aspects of my life, but most people would recognise and and know me that that I'm a swimmer. But it wasn't always that way. Yeah, okay. Uh, When I was uh, three years old, I was brought up on a, a farm and we had a dam in the back and uh, I wandered off from the house and the house was probably about 300 metres away from our dam and I went into the dam, it was, it was clay-based, and I went into the water uh, and unfortunately with the clay on the side I started to slip down and I didn't have the traction to be able to get back up. Wow. And I can still now, at my age, remember at three years old, what it was like to look out in foggy water and to see everything just disappearing for me. As I went down, it just got darker and darker and I clawed away. And the more I clawed away, the more the mud just stirred up and I couldn't see. And the last thing I remember at the time was, was this hand come down and grab me. And lucky enough, my neighbour had seen me go into the water and he'd run across his property and got there just in time to grab my hand because otherwise it would have disappeared and he wouldn't even know where I was. Wow, and, and fresh water's really heavy as well. Yeah. It's like heavy yeah, swimming. Yeah, it yeah. was, um, and it was, it was, it was dam water, so it was still water as yeah, well, okay, so it well. sort of made it a little bit, a little bit tougher. So obviously that affected my, my mum and dad and, yeah. and they, they were quite set back and, um, you know, you, you can hedge up people and, and you can try to st- put barriers around them to stop them to do it or you can give them the, uh, 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 the benefit of empowering them that if they do do something wrong, if they do make that mis- mistake again, if they do go out and do something, that they're able to be able to support themselves. So that's what my parents made the decision. At three years old, they put me in the water and uh, very limited... Uh, three access, years old? Three wow. years old, yeah. Very okay. limited uh, access to uh, school uh, to learn to swim there. Uh, but they found someone that was uh, able in a local pool, it was a fam- backyard family pool, who taught me how to swim. And, uh, you know, some of th- sometimes you, you look at a lot of sports and you want to, as a kid, be involved with a lot of sports, but I kept going back to swimming. I enjoyed it and I was good at it. So that, that's probably the reason I, I stuck with it. Yeah. So 
I ended up um, swimming continuously for quite a, a number of years and then I joined the, um, a squad which is about 20 minutes away and the coach at the time was uh, the Australian Olympic coach. And he wow. saw something in my life and just said, hey, I, I, he told my parents, I think he's got something there. So I, I started to train every morning. Um, so I was, I was waking up at four o'clock in the morning and going down to training and, and just swimming kilometre after kilometre after kilometre in this, in this pool, sometimes not, not fully heated. And uh, then I'd, I'd get, my mum would take me and she'd drop me off on the, on the bus run and then I'd go, I'd go, to, I'd go to school or I'd walk to school from, as in primary school. And over the years, I progressively got better and better and I, I, I managed to be able to, you know, compete at higher level and higher level. And it probably came to a peak for me. Um, I was 14 years old. I trained with the Commonwealth Games team, didn't make the cut, but that was all right. At 15, they'd started the Olympic training already. Uh, so I got in with that. And it was just after I'd started to train with that squad. Um, it was based in Queensland at the time. Uh, that I, I'd gone to uh, for a trip around Australia and I got as far as Alice Springs and um, I thought I had a problem with my foot. I got put in the hospital and it wasn't my foot, it was my heart. Wow. Yeah. So they diagnosed me then with rheumatic fever. Now, if you go back all those years... You Which know, is unusual for someone young to have. Young and fit, very, very unusual, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, as much as I'd, I'd like to find the bottom of it, I think that, you know, the reason behind it has already passed. I, I, I just got to get on with life. So yeah. um, I remember at 15 I, I was um, flown... I was in the uh, Alice Springs Hospital for quite a period of time and then they, they flew me out. I was met at the airport by my parents... And then they put me under a, a specialist and a doctor. And the local doctor was down the road, so we were able to walk down there. Because for those that don't know, uh, rheumatic fever gives you uh, a problem with your heart. So I had two heart um, uh, um, valve problems. And um, that, that was causing me to become very weak in my walking and I couldn't get too far. But I walked to the doctor this day and I, I, can, I, I can still see where the car park was, I can still see the doctor's surgery and I can actually still, still remember the exact words that the doctor said at the end after he examined me and referred me on to a heart specialist. He said, you will never do anything in fitness again, you'll never be involved in any sport again and you just need to understand that. Now, I'm a 15-year-old boy, that my world revolved around swimming and revolved around being fit, revolved around my identity as being an athlete in, inside of the school. Mm. And I remember walking out of there and what that felt like. I could can, I can just remember it was like a weight on my shoulders and a weight in my heart that I've never experienced before. And it, I'm sure other people would have, would have had heartbreaking moments, but it was like a, it was like a storm of all storms for me because of what it meant for me and where I was going. You see, the other thing at the time was I wanted to, I wanted to be a pilot in the Navy. Okay. And because I, I, I had the connection there, I was trying to do my training, but I was also trying to sit for different exams that would allow me to be, go on to be a pilot in the Navy. And when I went to my heart specialist, that was the next thing that happened. And he just said, look, this is the problem. This is the, these are the valve problems. This is what's going to happen. And he started giving me the heavy drugs. He then said to me, I note that you have been, you've made an application 
to go to the fleet air arms. He said, unfortunately, I am the heart specialist that, that uh, tests all the applicants and you will never get through. Wow. wow. So not only was the, was, was the, my swimming taking away from me, not only was my health taking me, my, my position in my school as a, you know, as a young bloke, I, I, the peer uh, was that I was, I was important because I, I, was a, I was a competitive athlete. I, I represented the school, represented the state. And now that had been taken away. But even further down the track, what I wanted to do, in a way, was sort of follow my dad who was a pilot. Now that was taken away from me. So wow. I, started to, I started to really look at, you know, different things and, and started very, at a very early stage in life realised that, um, you know, you can plan things but life is going to throw you a few curveballs. Yeah, which is a really tough thing to learn as a teenager and there are certain things that, you know, you can get over. They're obstacles but you just work, work around them. But then there are some mm. things like what you're describing now which have a sense of finality about it, like this, you have this issue, you have this problem, and you've got doctors telling you you can't get around that. Yeah, and I, I think, too, that the level of, of, of the expertise around you, you look at a doctor, and especially when you're at that age, and you say they know exactly what they're doing and, and they're not going to be wrong, and you go to a specialist... Yeah. And you're hoping for a different version of the story, yeah, a yeah. different version of the end, but it just didn't come about. And, and he basically had the last nail. So I already had a nail in, in, in my swimming. I had a nail in my fitness. I had a nail in my, in, in my environment and being a leader, as seen as a leader, yeah. and now he was going to put a nail in what I believed I wanted to do as, a, 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 as an adult. So it was quite, it was quite hard, and I, and I suppose from there I... I I went into a, a stage in my life where I just, I, I did stay at home quite a bit because I, I wasn't allowed to go out, you know, the, I was on, the, on these drugs and it actually, um, uh, the penicillin was so strong it would smell. <laughs> it was smelling my life. Really? Yeah, it was so strong and um, I just remember, whoa, you know, this is, this is pretty antisocial, <laughs> you know, because people could see it and I knew that they could smell it, but yeah. I, I thought, oh, gee, this is a bit hard. So then... Um, I, I, I was offered a job through, through my family uh, connection to, to work part-time. I was still at school and worked part-time uh, in a kitchen. So I, it was a local, local club and I, I went down there and I started working down and I started the cooking. And uh, the guy there was, was trying to you know, get me to, to become a, a, a chef and I, I just kind of thought, well, I can't do that and I can't do that. So maybe this is, maybe this is a path that I can go. Um, I suddenly found that life can throw more curveballs than you could ever expect. Mm -hmm. You see, it was during that period of time that I was connected with someone that uh, profoundly affected my life and I was sexually abused. And it hit me really hard because it was someone close, because it was someone that had impacted my life, but also because when I was six years old, I was sexually abused previously, but I never told my parents. I'd never said anything. And now I'm in a situation where this has happened again, and I'm trying to figure out what is this life about? And these things just started to, to put pressure on me and, and, to go, and, and, and to go down and to recede. The problem was that inside of me, there was something that said there was, an, there was other things for me in life. And I can't describe what that is, 
But I couldn't look at something and say, I can do, I can do it. My mind, my thoughts, my mind was saying, you can't do it because you've been told you can't do it. Mm. But I was looking at it and saying, I can do that. And I don't know why that was the case. But you see, at that particular time, I had to make a decision in my life whether what was spoken about me and what was what was told about my future was going to be finite or I was going to make a decision at that stage to go ahead. I think one of the things about sexual abuse is that it deeply affects your identity. It deeply fractures who you are. And to deal with that at a young age, for it to come up again, to intersect with heart problems, that's no mean feat to be able to overcome that. Yeah, it was... um did you have really dark moments? I, I had phenomenally dark moments. I had, I had moments where I couldn't... I, I, I was struggling to see myself out of not just the health side, but of a cycle that I saw in life. So I was seeing that this is what life's about. This is... Is this what life's about? Is, you know, that, that these things can happen to you and they're outside of your control. And what... Is this going to shape me forever? But there was a there was a turning point. Um, my mum came home and she had been doing art lessons for a lady, and this lady had invited her to church, and it was actually a tent meeting. She, she wow. went along for a tent meeting, and um, which don't really happen anymore. No, don't happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, you know, it, it, was, it was a big name there. It was Clark Taylor, and he'd come along and at this tent meeting. And my mum um, uh, listened to the word at, at that time, and it connected with her. And at that particular stage, she was late in life, and she decided that, um, you know, there, there were some more things for her, even at her age. And she, she, she just saw that there was um, the reality of Christ. So she came home, and there, I could see the change, I could hear the change, but probably the biggest thing that she did was she started to speak into my life and she started to tell me that there were great things ahead, that, 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 that if I connected with God, that, that, you know, that there were things that he wanted to do with me. But, see, I really didn't want to have too much to do with God, but the problem was I couldn't get that word out of my head. Did you, you feel like there was no God or that God had failed you? Probably a little bit of both, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, I, I, I could ponder God and I could ponder the world without God and I struggled to figure out how that would look. Mm. Um, but in the same token, where I was in life, I just didn't feel that, that if there was a God, why did that happen to me? Why, 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 do, why do bad things happen to good people? I didn't see myself as a bad person. Yeah. I didn't see that I'd hurt people. I'd, why has this happened to me? Why, is, why are these things continually coming along into my life? Um, but my mum kept on saying it, and even though I didn't want to attend church, her words started to affect me in that I couldn't get them out of me <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because okay. she'd released the word, it had gone into my head, it has gone into my heart, and I, I just couldn't get it out of it. And it just, it stirred a desire to find out what was available for me. So when um, I, I, I was probably one of those bad children <laughs> in what I did next. Uh, I, I, uh, I had a birthday. I came out of school and I had a birthday. And to get away from the environment of who I'd been involved in in that cooking area, but I, liked, I didn't mind the cooking, 
I thought, you know what, there's another way. So in my college, I met with someone who had a, had a job on, on the, uh, in Noosa, uh, down the road from where we were, and I, I just, I did it on a part-time basis while he was away, and they offered me a job. My parents were in New Zealand on holiday. I had a massive party at my house. <laughs> um, yeah, good, bad and ugly, but I had a massive party at my house. And um, in the end, I, I left my mum my and dad a, a message because we didn't have mobile phones in those days. I, I left them a letter and said I've moved out. Wow. And uh, I, I moved out to Noosa. So I find myself in, in Noosa Heads, paradise, lovely place. And as, as a kid, I was coming up, I'd been on a surfboard before. I am living on the beachfront in Noosa Heads. I have got a job which works in the afternoon and night only. I've got all day to spare and I've got the ocean in front of me. Wow. I had a few dollars, so I thought I'd go and get a surfboard. And I, and I can remember very clearly, I'd been in the water about, about 10 times and I thought I shouldn't be doing this because they told me I can't do it. I really enjoy this. I have to make a decision. What was going to be the decision maker for me? What was going to t- transition me from being where I was in terms of, of, of having these words spoken over me to going to where I wanted to be, which was in the water and getting fit again? So the decision I made was to not take the tablets anymore, the, the penicillin, the antibiotics anymore. I thought, you know what, whether this is right or wrong, that is what represents the decision that was made for my life. Mm, Okay. That's what defined me. Those tablets were defining me. I was taking them every day. That was a reminder in my life that I couldn't do what I did. And if I remove that out of my life, I remove the barrier for me to be able to go ahead and start to do things. Wow, wow. So I stopped it. Wow. Which we don't recommend everyone to do. <laughs> it's just what you did. I am so. not a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's just one of those things you did, but we're not recommending anyone do this. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So from, it was quite funny because I, I did it and it was just like this big weight off my shoulder and I, I thought, okay, so that's not defining me. Now I can get out into the surf. And now I, can, now I can start to do things. So I had this perfect environment. I was living on the beach, literally on the beach. There was no road between me and the surf. So I, I was surfing every day and, and just enjoying it. I was working in the afternoon. I didn't eat during the day because I worked in a, I worked in a restaurant and they fed me like a family. Huh. <laughs> and so, you know, life, life was pretty cool and I, I started to, to get involved. But then I found out that not everyone that you connect with in life... Um, has the right intentions for you. Not everyone thinks about you when decisions are made. So I found myself in a position where I got extremely close to this young, this young guy. And um, fantastic surfer, that was an attraction for me. Blonde guy, worked in uh, a five-star hotel, had the right connections, had got me in the right environment, got me around the right people, mm. everything was cool. And um, I saw him as really, as, as really something that helped me fit into life. And at this stage, you know, I, I am moving forward. I'm moving forward. I've moved, transitioned out of being not fit to, be, to being fit. Uh, and then my, um, uh, my dad came and met him and everything was fine, except when my dad left, and he wasn't a Christian, 
And he, he just said to me, son, I don't, I don't want to put a dampen on this, he said, but there's something about that boy that I don't think I'm not comfortable with. Now, my parents have usually been very accurate about who I hang around with sure. and make sure, and they realise the influence that someone you can hang around with can have on your life. And uh, I, I've had a number of experiences where my, where my parents have taken me off a train where I was going into the city where I shouldn't be and embarrassed yeah. me in front of my friends. <laughs> However, um, you know, it, it really hit me that my dad said it. Yeah, wow. And once again, I looked at, is this a vessel that I wanted to hear from? Is this someone I wanted to hear on this particular thing? Because what he was saying, what you're doing here, it may look good, but there's something behind the scenes. I don't know what it is. He couldn't put his finger on it, but he said there's something wrong here. So um, I, I kept on going and, and I, I ended up started going back into swimming a little bit. I ended up doing the Noosa Triathlon and then I ended up doing a team for the Noosa Triathlon and, and life was looking good. But behind the scenes, this guy saw something in my life that he wanted to follow and I was buying property at the time. Okay. Yeah, so at, um, at 18 I bought a property, at 19 I bought a property. Uh, by the time I was um, uh, 21 I had five properties. Wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, so... So I, I was using like a very minimum amount of, uh, of income that I had to buy property. Yeah, and wow, that's I, I was just, just, yeah. just going, just getting ahead. And this guy wanted to connect Which must with me. have meant a lot to you because you've come from a background where you've had to really try to break through a lot of barriers and then now you're living a life where you're surfing, mm. buying properties, working in the evenings, you're fit. Things it, must have just looked good. Life was good and, you know, the properties didn't, it didn't twig to me what, what property could do, but what it was to me was, was showing my parents that I've moved on. Okay. And it was, it was something I wanted to, hey, hey I, I, bought, I bought this. Yeah, I bought sure. This. And this young man, he saw this and he didn't have the capacity, but he saw something in my life that he could connect with. And he connected with me and we decided to go into another property together. And to cut a long story short, the way that he was doing, he was looking at funding it, um, it wasn't good. And um, okay. I found myself in a position where we now had a loan. He was doing something illegal and getting involved in deeper and deeper and illegal. And all of a sudden, um, he decided that um, he was going to go and visit a, a relative in London. So I was left and kept, and with the decision to make, if I don't keep this money coming in, I can't keep this property. <clears throat> See, sometimes, Jay, you make decisions based on what you really think is the right thing to do because you want to protect yourself, but deep down you knew, you know it was wrong. Yeah. Every decision that you make that is based on something that's wrong will have a consequence down, down the path. Yeah. So I found myself following along the tracks of this young guy and I can remember um, I was in my caravan and um, I was going to go for a surf. The surf was active uh, that day and I was just getting ready. And all of a sudden, I knock on the door of the caravan and I thought, oh, there's two guys out there. Oh, I don't know what they want. Well, they were Australian Federal Police, Jane. And um, for those that have never experienced being interviewed by Australian Federal Police, oh, let me tell you, it's a bit of a nerve-wracking little, little um, uh, thing. So... They had already figured out exactly what had happened. They figured out the other guy had started all this. They figured out and knew he was overseas. They figured out that I, I, I had done it and why I had done it is they traced down that we had a joint property. 
So they were smart yeah, people. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So... Which is really funny because the amount of stories that I heard from different prisoners about how they thought they were smarter <laughs> uh, is, is it's really funny, you know. And sometimes I'd have to say to some of these guys which are locked up, you know, if you really were smarter, <laughs> don't you think you wouldn't be in here right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we get, and I did, I, I did think that, that it worked, but I, 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 it will work and I didn't think we'd get caught. The reason I didn't think it'd get caught was I didn't want to look at the consequences and I didn't want to look at the fact that I could lose a property if I didn't continue it. Yeah, but that's because all of that's wrapped up in identity. It had a big bearing for impacting who you thought you were at this stage. Mm. If you lost that money source, if you lost those properties, suddenly what you just built up to make you you it just disappears. It just disappears. Yeah. It just goes away. Yeah, so um, what they did was they sat with me and they un unraveled everything and they actually, they spoke the whole thing out. They told me where it started, how it started, my involvement, what, what, mm. what had been set up and they said, we believe that this is it but we're going to give you the opportunity to think that thing through and you give us a call and tell us what you want to do about it. So I thought about it on the weekend and I thought, well, you know, you can run from something, but eventually if, if it's based on truth, it's going to catch you. Mm. And I knew that I knew that I knew that these people were now way smarter than me. <laughs> I, I was not the smartest man in the room. And I thought, well, you know what, uh, you're better off biting the bullet now. Uh, and, and so I can recall once again going to the public phone Phoning, phoning the police, the federal police, and say, hi. Uh, hi. <laughs> can you uh, come and have a bit of a chat with me? And, um, yeah, I remember them coming over and they just, I, I just said, yeah, this is what's happened. You're right. The whole story's right. And um, this is a situation that we're in. And at that stage, I remember very vividly my dad saying to me, be careful, there's something behind the, the scenes here with this lad. Mm. And, um, you know, I've learned over the years, Jay, that be careful that you don't miss the, the, the pointers in life. You know, don't judge, the, don't judge the person that's giving you the message because they can have a very good message for you and, and, and uh, save you a lot of pain. Yeah. So... Because I, a lot of times people that say things to us that have profound impact on our life, if we were to listen it's often things that we don't actually want to hear. Yeah. Oh, well, it's, yeah. It's, it's normally things yeah. you don't want to hear yeah. because you're on a path, someone comes and says something to you, it normally would rub you the wrong way. And you're like, I, I don't want to listen to that. And you try to, you know, wash it away, you try to excuse it, whatever it is, you know. And um, I know from my story, for me, I clearly remember sitting with someone at a Starbucks and across the table he says... Jay, I've got something to tell you. And you're not going to like it. He actually said that to me. <laughs> you're not going to like it. And, um, you know, over the next couple of months after pondering that, initially not liking what he said and then thinking about it, asking other people what they thought about it, you know, I sometimes think to myself, I wonder what my life would look like if I'd listened to that conversation. And um, I'm sure you sort of think... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what would have happened there if you yeah. listened to your dad? You, you know, know probably what I've learned is this, those that... 
Those that are honest enough that to present the truth to you are those that love you and appreciate you more and want the best for you. Because those that don't often will allow you to go down that path even when they see it because they want to see you have that, have that, hit that dead end. They want to see the result. Yeah. Of, they want you to encounter the result of your, of your mistake. And we're not talking about listening to everybody. No, no, no. No, no. no but, you know, people that, people that are pivotally placed in your life and people that have always got a history of giving you, w- wanting to give you the best advice, yeah. wanting to talk things through. And I think a lot of it comes from the delivery. Yeah, it does, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's not, you know, people can tell you, and I think that's how you know. If people come along and just say, you're doing this wrong, but they can frame their, vo- their verbiage in a way that says, you know what, I've noticed this, mm. and, and I, I'm not going to tell you, but I think you should consider this. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that when you, when you find people in your life that are, that, are, that are good enough to be able to tap you on the shoulder and, and, and assist you in life's path, um, the habit that I've got myself into is, to, is not to put something out straight away if I do not like it. I will, I will, leave, I will either react on it immediately if I think he's right, if they're right, if, if, I, if I'm a little bit curious about it, I'll put it on a shelf but I won't throw it away. I'll, I'll make sure I revisit it and then I'll try to, try to look at that and just make sure that, you know, if their intent was right, I would start to look a little bit more into what they have said. Why do you think that people don't tell each other the truth? I think, to, to be honest, okay, so um, they don't... They, they either don't want to feel that they, um, they have a position to be able to tell you. They don't, that they don't want to interrupt and they want you allow you to go and make a mistake. Or they feel it's someone else's responsibility. Yeah, wow. So it's easy to, to, to think, well, someone else is closer than me. Someone else can see this. Someone else can say that. I don't want that confrontation. I don't want to bridge that relationship. I don't want to risk that that that, that friendship that I've got by saying something which is truthful. And I know it's truthful, mm. but I don't want to tell them that because I don't want to be that person. Yeah. You wow. know. Wow. Someone else can do that, and then I can agree with them. <laughs> oh yeah. When they, oh yeah 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 yeah. I know. Yeah, I, I see that. You know. But I can be looked at as as a better person and and and, and closer friend. Um, you know, Jay, uh, you know, to be honest, uh, some of the things that you said to me in my life, I did not want to hear. I just, I just, just didn't want to hear. I, I sit there and say, gee, I wish you wouldn't have said that. I really <laughs> wish you wouldn't have said that to me. I really wish that you had not released that out of your mouth because I cannot get rid of it in my life. Yeah. And the decision I make from that point on is whether I'm going to fight with that thing for 12 months or I'm just going to, I'm going to react on it straight away. And I've learned, well, if it's a truth... And when you know, when you have a known truth, yeah, it's not about a truth being out there. It's when it becomes your personal knowledge. Yeah, that truth you cannot escape it. It becomes your responsibility. It becomes your, it becomes your part of your life. And what you do with that truth is going to shape the next thing. But what I have found that taking hold of truth and going on with truth will always lead you into a better place in life. Yeah, wow. it will always lead you into a better place in life. So, did you know when your dad said that thing about this guy? In your heart of hearts, yeah, yeah. So, so even before, even before I ended up having this conversation with the federal police, um, there, there was an incident there when he borrowed my car, and um, he uh, he actually smashed my car up, and he didn't have the money to pay for it. Now, it wasn't an expensive car, but I, it was the only car that I had at the time, yeah. so I had to go and replace that. And it, I sort of looked at that, and I collated the two, and then 
I'm, I, I have these guys, these federal police, they, 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 they're kind enough to come back and visit me. You know? Yeah, wow. And, um, yeah, they came back and they... Um, um, at that stage, there was um, a young lady who, who was around my life and she was sitting in on the conversation. They, they, they said, that's fine, you sit in. So they went through everything and they said that they're going to have to charge me, we're going to have to go to court. Um, we have a court hearing this afternoon, so it'll be all right. And what they did was they made it clear that, look, there was no problem. Um, you're definitely going to get fined, you're definitely going to get charged, but we'll have, it, we'll have him back this afternoon. And I remember her saying, hey, look, do you want us to come down? No, it's all right, we'll bring him back. It's all fine, right? Yeah. She didn't want to go there because she didn't want to be seen around the court. So I go in there and, um, yeah. So I've gone from owning properties, being fit, in with the right people. I'm sitting before the magistrate and bang, sentenced straight away. Wow. Straight away, that afternoon, sentence. There was no go home and get yourself an order. No, no, go, 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 and, go and talk to someone, go, go and do this. And I was just stunned. I was taken away, I was put in, in overnight in, in the cell in Maruchador uh, and I was taken to prison. Uh, what an eye-opener that was for me. <laughs> Whoa, from, from a beach view to that view, that was... Uh, wow. Yeah. What did you feel at that moment? Um, I felt two things. Um, I felt fear and severe guilt. Okay, explain I, the guilt. Well, what did I, you I, about that? I just felt that... I knowingly entered into something wrong and it was going to affect people's lives and it was going to affect my life. So I was guilty for myself. I felt sorry and guilty that I'd affected my own life, I'd affected my family's life, I affected my financial future life and I started to unravel it and I, I'd gone, whoa, what's, what's going on here? Mm. What's, what's actually happening? You know, and once again, it's like that doctor that says to you, hey, you can't do this anymore. All of a sudden, even though I had a set sentence, I sort of said, this is it. Everything's gone. Yeah. Everything's finished. Yeah. You know, how do you bounce back from something like this? So I was going to go into probably at that stage one of the darkest times of my life um, because my mum, who was a Christian, was at the first visitation yeah. She was at the second visitation. She was at the third visitation, but my dad couldn't come. And it really hurt me. It really, I, I just started to realise the weight of what our actions, how our actions affect others. But I wasn't, I wasn't other-centred enough. It was still focused on me. Okay. And what it, what, what it was going to do to me. Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah. And it hurt me that my dad wasn't there. And that was really, really dark. Um, and eventually, after a, a, a number of weeks, I'd been transferred out to somewhere else and my dad turned up and it was, yeah, it was, it was quite a tough day. Um, wow. But, wow. you know, um, uh, prison... So you wore, you wore the green, the whole thing? Oh, yeah, the whole thing, mate. That was, that was me. <laughs> that was me. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I you know, I, I suppose if there was... If I had anything over everyone else, the fact that I could cook put me in the right place because I was in the officer's mess preparing food. And yeah. it gave me access to other facilities, which probably others do. But, you know, you're still, you're still in that environment. You're still in the yard. You're still in, you're around people which you, you, you wouldn't choose to be around. Yeah. Uh, but all of a sudden, you know, you're, you, you're, you're, your friends in, in life aren't your selection. No. No. 
Yeah. And you're around people that all of a sudden that same principle is going to apply, that those that are around you are going to start to affect you. And I didn't realise how much they were going to affect me until one day. You see, Salvation Army came into, into church, uh, into, into prison. And um, for whatever reason, I felt compelled just to talk to this guy. And if you can picture it, I, there was a pile of cells around and it was in a yard and it was in a cage and he'd come up to the cage and I was standing at the cage and he started to talk to me and started to talk to me that God had had a, a plan for me and I had a lot of things ahead of me still to go. And, and this was only, this was just, just something that I needed to uh, realise and, and adjust and, and take the consequence but, but look past this point. And what I was hearing was exactly the same thing as my mum was saying. Yeah, okay. And, and, and that started to get me. And he gave me the opportunity at that time whether I wanted to change my life by accepting Christ into my life. And by the time he'd finished talking to me, I was standing at, in a yard full of criminals from a variety of background, and you're probably well aware yeah, of the yeah. variety of background, of who, who's, who's who in that zoo, mate. Yeah, yeah. They're all hanging around the, around the area and they're yeah. looking at me and they know that he's from the Salvation Army. They know that I'm, I'm a... I'm a felon. I, I, I'm in there with them, you know. Yes, yeah. You know, if you ask anyone in prison, everyone's innocent. But anyway, yeah, that's right. <laughs> everyone is innocent. <laughs> Never done a crime. Yeah, no crime here. <laughs> I was just standing next to the drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Who put them in my boot? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, you meet some people. Yeah. So I'm standing there, and he and he's explaining how my life can change from one decision. One decision. I thought, well, one decision, and I just. I felt it, I felt this pressure on my, and I started, I was tearing up, I wasn't tearing up, I was absolutely weeping. Yeah, I was wow. standing in these bars. How old were you? 20 mm. years old, 20 years old. And I, I remember he was just, he was telling me everything and I was just standing there and I was weeping. And he gave me this opportunity to follow his prompts to bring Christ into my life and start to change things around. And the problem was this, and I don't know, Jay, whether you've ever been in this situation, that you know what someone's telling you is right, but the peer pressure behind you and the peer pressure of your life and what, you, what that may do to change your relationships with people was just, whoa. And I thought, I can't do this because I don't want to be seen that guy with everyone else watching me. Hmm. And I made a decision that day that I wasn't going to follow that path because my, my friendship and my connection with these, with these known criminals suddenly was more important. In actual fact, it was down to one word. It was about pride. Yeah, wow, okay. It was about pride. Mm. And that pride, uh, my pride, my personal pride was too big for me to make that decision. I knew, what it, I knew that what that man was saying was correct. I didn't care what badge he had on, who, who he represented. At the time, he presented truth to me. And once again, I was given truth and I, could, I didn't know what to do with it. So I was going to struggle with that truth for a long period of time because I made that decision. I made that decision not to, not to do that. And it was going to be a large number of years before that opportunity came again. Wow. Martin, this has been amazing. We're going to pause your story right here. And sure. I think it's at a great, great, great spot. So we'll pick it up um, next week. Cool.